Hello and welcome to another episode of Something Healthy. It is currently August 31st, late morning, and it's already fucking 100 degrees outside. I'm so over it. I'm so over this heat. I'm so over having anxiety about turning the air conditioning on all the time because it makes my electric bill like $300. I'm so, I'm over it. And the worst part, well, arguably, if whether or not, arguable if this is the worst part or not, but to me, it feels urgent. I feel so fucking fat. I feel like a whale. And the heat and the fat, it doesn't feel good. Now listen, I know what you're thinking. Claudia, shut the fuck up. You skinny bitch, you're not fat. I get it. I will shut up. I promise I will shut up. But for the purposes of this podcast, I'm not shutting up. I feel huge. And obviously that's the point. I'm pregnant. I'm 24 weeks pregnant. And some days you're supposed to be a little bit fatter. If I wasn't any fatter, I would be concerned. And the the fucked up thing about the whole thing is I am actually concerned because the last growth scan that I had, I think it was last week. I can't remember if I spoke about this on the last episode, but my baby is small the baby is measuring a week behind and the baby has been measuring a week behind for a while now. So it's not that big of a concern. Like a week isn't that big of a deal. It's the baby's still growing. We're good, but it's still small. And that's slightly concerning because when you're pregnant, every little thing that isn't perfect is unfortunately slightly concerning and there's a lot of little things that aren't perfect and they all add up to some giant colossal glob of just shit you can't control and the more little things that you have to add to the glob of shit you can't control the more concerning the pregnancy becomes and I'm very fortunate that I haven't had that many concerning things to add to the glob but I do have this that my baby isn't growing as big as he or she should be. And that's fine. I don't mind. I think, I hope that it's, you know, I don't want to have to push out a 10 pound baby regardless, but we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. So on the one hand, I'm like, well, eat more because your baby is small. And on the other hand, I'm like, I'm literally eating like 3000 calories a day. I swear to God, I'm eating like 3000 calories a day lately. And I don't know if it's helping. I think it might just be stress. I think it might just be so many different things. Well, mainly I think it might be stress, (laughs) stress and like emotional distress, which has been my main, a big component of my life. And I don't want to be some like, Ooh, woe is me feel so bad for me. And I also feel like I can't be that because I chose to continue with this thing. Even if I didn't choose really to become pregnant, like it was really, truly like truly the biggest surprise of my life um I feel this weird guilt because there were so many people that told me like oh get an abortion you won't be able to do it it's gonna be really hard just get an abortion whatever whatever and I was like I can't like I can't I literally went to the abortion clinic and I left I was like I can't I'm can't do it sorry cannot do it my apologies um But because I made that choice, I I feel like I can't complain about some of the difficulties that just arise in situations like this because I knew it was going to be hard. I just didn't know it was going to be 
I didn't want to think about how hard it could be. And I kind of think for a lot of, in a lot of different aspects of my life and a lot of different times in my life, I've kind of approached it with just a lot of blind faith, to be completely honest with you. And it usually works out okay. There are times of struggle and turmoil, but you compare that against the grand scheme of the world, it's not that fucking bad. And I end up being, it's fine. It's fine. You get through it. So I was like, I'll get through it. But I'm in it right now. And it's to get through it seems really fucking hard. It's really hard, mainly just not only the fact that there's no one else here and like comforting yourself when you're having a mental breakdown completely alone, 24 weeks pregnant is difficult, but also just financially thinking about the future and budgeting and knowing that it just, it makes me feel so disgusted, honestly, all of, I mean, I shouldn't be surprised. I really shouldn't. And I'm not, but I, it's like still gross to me that all of the men who used to like support me or whatever, when I was at the club and they would always be like, Oh, Claudia, like I miss you so much. Like let's, you know, go for dinner. They would send me money or whatever. Like they all literally, literally all of them have dropped off the face of the earth. Like truly all of them. And I guess fair enough. Like, I guess you don't want to talk to me when I'm pregnant or why would you send me money? I don't know. But it's a little bit, it's like, why did you ever pretend like you cared about me? Like, obviously you didn't. And you were just like saying that. So I would think you were a better person, but it still feels like the jagged edge of my emotions towards men as like a species um, has become more intense. And there's like a barbed wire around it now also. So that's a fun thing to contend with. But to go back to the weight thing real quick, I guess. Obviously, there's a lot of like self-doubt emotions and thoughts that come into your head every day when you're pregnant. Like, am I eating enough? Am I eating too much? Am I getting enough vitamins? Am I not like, am I getting too many vitamins, which can cause birth defects? Also, it's like a whole fucking headache. So every day I think about these things and I have found myself and this is a sickness that I will admit. I will absolutely admit to this. I've found myself like being like, oh, can I, I don't need to lose weight. I've only gained like 20 pounds in this pregnancy, which is pretty normal. Um, and I wasn't, I was pretty skinny before. So it's not that big of a deal. Like my BMI is still like within the normal range, even though BMI is a bullshit indicator of how healthy you actually are because muscle weighs more than fat and BMI just goes off of weight and blah, 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 whatever nutrition is broken as we know it, the nutrition, the, like the modern idea of a healthy diet and a healthy body weight and the calculate calculations that we use to determine that are not ideal. But anyway, I haven't gained that much weight. It's fine. I have, I have to tell myself it's fine, but I catch myself thinking about, oh my God, I can't wait to be skinny again. Or like, oh my God, can I lose weight during pregnancy? And then I have to be like, Claudia, what is fucking wrong with you? Like you're growing a human and your baby is already small. Like eat the food, like just stop. It's fine if you have to buy bigger clothes. Like it's, this is literally the one time in your life where you shouldn't probably be concerned about how much weight you're gaining. If you're being healthy still and you're eating well and you're exercising most days, if you're doing those two things, allow yourself to gain weight as your body gains weight. Like don't 
try to halt it. Don't try to lose it. Don't try to stop it because unless you're starting off from a bigger standpoint, like if you're already obese before you got pregnant, I don't know. I'm not a medical expert. Might be different. Maybe you shouldn't gain a hundred pounds, but if you're at a healthy weight, just allow your body to do what it's going to do within the confines of a healthy lifestyle. And I've been healthy, not mentally, but physically I've been very healthy. So I have to catch myself, but I have, this is, and this is what I guess I'm going to talk about today because I've, this is a pattern for me that I've had for, I guess, what is it? It's 2022. So over a decade. And the ironic part about it is that, and by it, I mean my borderline eating disorder, unhealthy food habit, food obsessed self Ironically, the first article I ever wrote that made that gave me a name in the food world was about this exact subject. And I have a tendency to always look at the things that I've done in the past as like bad. Like even with this podcast, which I'm still convinced that every episode is terrible, um I have this tendency to like as soon as I create something, I'm like, fuck it, fuck it, fuck, fuck that. Never want to read it again. Never want to hear about it again. I am good. Put it away in a corner. Also, I hope a million people read and listen to it, but also burn it, like burn it, if that makes sense. I don't know if any other creative people are like this. I, I know that there's some like actors and stuff that can't watch their own films after they're in them. I know, I know some writers that also can't reread their work after it's been out in the world. I just, it makes me cringe. I don't like to do it. So with every article I've ever written and practically every podcast I've ever put out and any other creative output I've ever put out, even the books I've written, which none of them have been published because I can never get through the editing process because I hate revisiting my shit. It is like the most physically and mentally painful thing. I swear to you, like any physical pain I've ever experienced in my life, revisiting my work is worse. I'm not being dramatic. Like it's literally worse. But anyway, where the fuck was I? Oh yeah. So I hate, re I hate, I don't like rereading my shit. I always think that it's going to be worse than it is. But because I've been having these like kind of intrusive thoughts about food and weight and whatever, as I should have predicted, honestly, I, I've never done well with like, I don't like the physical feeling of being big. Like I just don't like it. And I think it's because I have like flirted with eating disorders on and off throughout my life. And it's never been anything so serious that I need help. I've always eaten. I've always like food is just something that's been very significant in my life. But from the beginning of like being able to understand what like have any sort of body image, being just like an early preteen teenager when I was dancing and looking at myself in a bodysuit in a mirror all day, every day and given a nutritionist when I was like 13 years old, that was a not good information source for nutrition to puberty where you gain a bunch of weight and you can't really control it. At least I did to then wanting to be really skinny because I was like doing ballet and I wanted to be this like really thin athlete type of person to even having ballet instructors who told me like, don't eat, which is crazy that literally I had this in one of the dance camps that I did once this woman came up to me. She's like, I was eating lunch. She's like, don't eat. You don't need it. So like I was 15, that's going to fuck you up. Um, throughout all of that to then in college, like just kind of dealing with drug and alcohol shit and not, 
I, I always feel like I'm being too dramatic to be like, I was an addict. I don't know if I was an addict or not. I did coke a lot and I started doing it because I wanted to be skinny. I smoked a lot of cigarettes and I started smoking because I wanted to be skinny. I drank a lot of alcohol because alcohol is fun. And I knew that that wasn't going to make me skinny, but it kind of complemented the other things that I already had on my plate that I had going on. So Throughout all of that, and and when you're doing a lot of drugs and drinking and stuff, and you already had body image issues, your relationship with food isn't going to be great. You're not going to wake up and say, "Oh, I should I should make some chia fucking pudding or some like free range scrambled pasteurized eggs with some kale." Like you're not in that headspace. You're like, "Well, I drank this X amount of calories last night, so that means I'll just skip breakfast and then get like a green juice and then probably binge on something later because I'm going to be starving." Like. Your relationship to your body and to what you're putting in it is not great. So it's your food choices are nine times out of 10. They're not going to be perfect. And so we get through that period and then we enter into early adulthood, graduating college, whatever. And I become a food writer and my relationship to food is very fragile. My love of it is very strong, but I see every flaw in fucking everything. And I think that's what allowed me to be good at what I did because I actually understand like I have a fucking PhD in some alt version of nutrition because I've spent decades independently researching this stuff and it paid off because I was very young and I had a lot of knowledge that I guess other people didn't and I had a lot of personal experiences that I was willing to share as always and it worked so As a food writer, though, like you're eating a lot. I was reviewing restaurants every week. I was traveling, eating shit around the world. I also have a phobia of Teflon and certain types of cookware. So like I was just always doing the math of like how much damage is what I'm eating doing to my body, to my like fitness, to my fucking cancer cell like not cancer cells I don't have cancer knock on wood but like to my white blood cell count like my red blood cell count all this shit I'm overthinking to the millionth degree constantly about food plus I often have to eat things that I don't want to eat in quantities I don't want to eat so it's gonna do some other type of if not mental or physical damage it's going to increase your hyper awareness and your hypersensitivity even more. And then I become a stripper, which is also a very like physically uh, demanding, but also like your body is all that really matters. Yes, I could talk to people and I could, you know, form some kind of bond with the fucking assholes that don't send me money anymore, whatever. But like, if I looked ugly, they wouldn't have wanted to talk to me, period. It doesn't matter how smart or how funny I could have been. If I was like a, I don't know, not, it didn't look how I looked then, I could bet you a lot of money that I would not have made a lot of money. (laughs) So anyway, my relationship to food has always been tenuous and my relationship to body image has always been tenuous too. And even though I have arrived at a place where like, yes, I eat all the food groups and I think I have a pretty balanced diet because my actual rational thoughts can override the intrusive ones now. And I know the damage that extreme dieting has done and can do and the yo-yo effect that that can bring and how it's just often not, even if you do achieve the body you want through any sort of extreme diet, you're probably mentally going to be, at least for me, 
fucked up enough that you don't even realize you have the body you want, you're still going to be like, oh, I feel fat. I feel gross. I feel tired. I feel like hungry. I feel like just irritated. You're just, you're not even going to be able to enjoy the body that you thought you wanted, but also you're eventually going to fall, slip into some other version of it. It's just not a taint. Like it's not something that is easy to maintain you're going to slide backwards and then you're going to feel guilty. I mean, that's the whole yo-yo dieting effect. So I have enough rational thoughts now to be like, shut up, just eat the bagel. It's you're going to, you're fine. You're not allergic to gluten. You're going to be fine. If you want the bagel, eat the bagel. Okay. But the first story I ever wrote was about this, all of the things I just kind of mentioned. And I want to highlight it because I've seen a lot of TikToks recently about this very subject. And it's funny to me, almost, I wrote the story seven years ago. So I guess nearly a decade, but seven years later, when I wrote this story, I wrote it in Vice and the Washington Post picked it up. Teen Vogue picked it up. Like a bunch of outlets picked it up. Everywhere was calling me. It was like I had invented the term I had invented, the eating disorder that I had written about, when I hadn't. It had been out for like 20 years before then. A guy named Dr. Stephen Bratman coined the term for this specific eating disorder, which is called orthorexia. And orthorexia is pretty much an unhealthy obsession with healthy foods. I know that sounds weird and counterintuitive, like what the fuck, now we're mocking people for being healthy. But no, it's a real thing. You can fixate on health to the point that it does become destructive. It does become unhealthy. You do develop an eating disorder. It might not look like the traditional eating disorders that we have come to know, which like anorexia, you're not eating at all or binge eating. You're not eating and then you're eating too much or bulimia. You're throwing shit up. Orthorexia, you might just be eating like beautiful massaged kale and pumpkin seed salads every day. So it's like, oh, she's super healthy but you literally like don't want to go out to eat with friends. You're probably not getting the nutrients that you need or the calories that you need. You are, I'm talking fixated, like OCD fixated on what is and is not going into your body. And this affects men and women equally. Like there are just as many men that I have encountered in my life that are, you know, super keto, paleo, gym rat type of guys, protein smoothie, whatever type of people that arguably care even more about what they're putting into their bodies than some women. So this is probably one of the only eating disorders that affects both men and women. But the thing that's been really interesting to me is like, I keep now here re kind of, it's been seven years and I haven't thought much about this term. I haven't thought much about this story because like I said before, I assume everything I've done in the past is terrible and I would like nothing to do with it ever. Please leave me alone. Thank you. But now I keep seeing this term orthorexia, orthorexia, orthorexia on TikTok and all these girls coming forward, like this new generation of girls being like, wow, I had this and I didn't know what it was or I'm currently dealing with this and I want to talk about it. And I think that is interesting because while we unfortunately mock people or like there's still a really big stigma around being unhealthy or if someone's overweight, you automatically assume that they must be unhealthy, which isn't even necessarily true. People have thyroid issues. People have genetic issues like just because someone is overweight does not mean that they're going to, 
I don't know, the fucking McDonald's drive through four times a day. That's it. That's a very, very, very toxic, huge misconception. And I think that even happens like within medicine. I know it happens within medicine. Like doctors assume that of their patients if they're overweight, when that is not always the case. Sometimes maybe there is, as Tim Dillon would say, a little fatty boom batty. I don't know, going to fucking KFC seven days a week, but it's, it's a dangerous misconception to assume that because someone is overweight, that they have an unhealthy lifestyle. There are a lot of hormonal thyroid, other types of issues that can contribute to excessive weight gain without engaging in excessive eating and an unhealthy lifestyle. So whatever. Plus there's like emotional distress. Eh, this shit runs deep, but within this orthorexia discussion, I kind of wanted to add my two cents because literally when I wrote this article, like everything blew up for me. I started writing for Teen Vogue and then eventually Vogue. The Washington Post was calling me the guy who invented the fucking medical term, which by the way, still is not listed in the, I think it's called the DSM or the DSM-5 or something. It's like a book of eating disorders and mental, I don't look it up, whatever. It's not actually, orthorexia is still not, still does not qualify as a legitimate medical condition or eating disorder. It is still very much something that it's, it's like, I don't know. It's not like anorexia or those types of terms that are medically defined and accepted. It's still like pending. I don't even know if it will actually become accepted, but it's been decades now that this guy has been talking about it. And even the doctor who coined the term was like, he was almost mad at me. I remember he called me. He's like, I don't know why your article like got so much attention. Cause I wrote a book about this and I did, you know, all this different stuff, but I want to read a part of my article, which <laughs> bear with me. I know it feels eco- egotistical, but apparently let me justify the fact that I'm about to read my own article. It's fine. Apparently, rates of orthorexia are once again on the rise in the U.S. And I'm not surprised, honestly, even though when I was experiencing it, I mean, I wrote the article seven years ago. Arguably, I started dealing with orthorexia many years before that, let's say 10 years ago. This was like the era of juice cleanses and smoothie bowls with Visco filters or very, remember Visco, like very heavily filtered pictures on Instagram. This was the era of they still exist, but very much vegans being this like glamorous fairy tale lifestyle purveyors that just eat, I don't know, raw papaya on a beach in Australia. Like those people still exist, but this was, it was very around 2013 to 2015. I would even say 2014 to 2016, like kind of that window, there was this really heavily filtered fruit, heavy forward Instagram aesthetic, like kind of a beach bum vegan health wave that was just very prominent in the culture. And now I think we've gone so far beyond that where it's like those vegans have now come a lot of them have come forward and been like breaking veganism and why I chose to eat eggs again or whatever but it's interesting as the culture has changed so much over the last seven to ten years that it's just interesting that a lot of people still struggle to find a healthy 
obsession with health or not obsession, but just a healthy way to incorporate health in their lives. And I understand, I, I get that. Like in our culture in North America, we're so conditioned to, we're so conditioned to see food as a reward. We're so conditioned to see healthy food as something that is both overpriced and boring and pretentious. We're so conditioned to, if not applaud, then at least be interested in and participate in diets, wellness, whatever you want to call it, to rebrand diet culture every couple of years into some new and improved version of itself, which is still the exact same shit just designed to sell you more shit that you don't really need. But anyway, we're just not, it's not a healthy way. We don't have the healthiest healthiest relationship with food. That's not monumental to say. That's not a revelation. You go to Olive Garden and you get a fucking chicken Alfredo, whatever the fuck, with a million breadsticks, bottomless breadsticks. And I'm thinking of Alfredo because this morning, apparently a truck in some state, I don't know, I can't remember where, (coughs) excuse me spilled a bunch of Alfredo sauce on the highway, which is probably the best news story I've literally heard all year. But we're just so conditioned to overeat, to not understand like how to combine foods, to not really understand how to enjoy foods, just to stuff ourselves full until we just can't really feel anything anymore and then feel bad about it the next day and go to some dumbass overpriced $35 spin class or workout. And it's just, we don't, our disconnect from our own bodies is is very real. It's very strong. And not to be the person who's like in Europe or wherever, but there are, and Europe has become very Americanized as well. And a lot of parts of the world have. I mean, there's McDonald's and Coca-Cola everywhere, God bless. But at least when you look at the way that other people eat in other cultures, there's a little bit more of an understanding of, not stuffing yourself full with a 10 pound plate of chicken fettuccine Alfredo. There's, you know, in Italy you have your pasta course and it's usually pretty small and there's no meat in the pasta. And then you have your main or your meat course. And it's not a giant hunk of something. You might share something with someone or it's like family style, but it's a little bit more civilized, dare I say. But orthorexia is probably something that at this point exists more or less everywhere. I mean, wellness and diet culture is everywhere. So it's not like this is an American problem specifically. However, since it is allegedly on the rise once again in the U.S., let me read. Let me read a little bit of this because I think if nothing else is interesting to me, food and I mean, it's such a building block of literally staying alive. The choices that we make around it, if we can afford to make those choices and what it says about just culture and us as a whole, that shit is so interesting to me. Like before I read this article, I guess, let me just go off on one little extra thing. Like Anthony Bourdain. I know it's the go-to example, but it's because he's the goat. He's literally the best to ever fucking do it. And if I ever get close to anything that he has done in terms of his food and travel legacy, I will be happy. Like truly, if I have one-tenth of Bourdain's success in a food and travel show, 
I'm good. Like that's literally my life goal. Um, but when you use food to examine the, like as a lens to look at culture, not in an annoying, pretentious, bullshitty way, but in an actual like genuine, interested way, you kind of let the people speak for themselves and you actually just try whatever food and whatever culture you're in, you just let them speak for themselves. You let the food speak for itself. You don't try to interfere too much. I think that that can be so beautiful. I feel like that's one of the only things that we actually have as people. Like food is something we all have to eat. We all have to, I mean, unless you're just drinking Soylent or something, but that's your own, that's still food. Like it's a choice we all have to make. It's something that even if you can't speak someone's language, you still can have a meal with them and it will still reveal a lot. You'll still get to learn a lot about a person by trying or sharing food. And I'm just reminded, I don't know why I was thinking about this episode recently. I think it's because like I now live in Georgia, which is the South. And I, I guess I never really thought I would end up here. And the type, like the the types of people that I encounter on a daily basis who are amazing, like the people in Atlanta and the people in Georgia are, I love them and I feel at home here and I'm so grateful to live here. But when I think of my previous like libtard self that lived in Toronto or New York and was this like asshole city person who was like, Oh, well I, I could never live like not and Atlanta is still a really big city, I guess, but I have more of a of an understanding and, a, and an appreciation for people who choose to have a different type of lifestyle than I chose to have back then. Like back then I was like, oh, all guns are bad. Like all Trump supporters are stupid. I was just this dummy. Like I had no nuanced perception of anything and no real desire to understand anyone that had any sort of beliefs outside of myself. I I looked at people who disagreed with me as just dumb. And I think that that's just a really, really sad place to be as a human. And I feel very differently from that now. And the world has, I think, changed a lot even since 2016 when Trump got elected. But regardless, I remember this episode of no reservations or parts unknown. I don't remember which one it was. It was the, the, the most recent one that, that Bourdain did, but he went to West Virginia. And I think that as much as Bourdain traveled to like every possible place imaginable on earth. And a lot of the episodes were so beautiful. Like when he was in Vietnam or, or the middle East or anywhere, like amazing, amazing to see cultures that we, as people who live, in America would not normally be exposed to. But the episode in West Virginia was particularly beautiful and heartbreaking and chaotic in a way that it really just felt like you don't even have to go to the middle of the, like halfway across the world to experience an eye-opening just cultural experience I guess you can literally just go to a different state and leave with the same level of appreciation for people who are maybe have different ideas than you and when when Bourdain went to West Virginia he openly was like these are people that have ideologies that I've mocked for most of my life but they were 
incredible. So like, it, I don't remember what he said, but he was pretty much like, so if you don't like it, just get lost. And it was one of the most incredible episodes because here he is eating lunch with like these coal miners in this coal mine. And if it was anyone else, I would have been like, oh, they're trying like this is not this is not genuine. This is like just for TV, whatever. But you can just tell that he wanted to be there and he wasn't doing it in a poking another culture with a 10 feet pole type of way to make fun of them. But in a genuine, like, let's let these people speak and hear them out. And why, why is this community, like, what's going on in this community? Why should we have sympathy for coal miners? Why should we support them? Why should we even bother to understand them when now coal has been painted as like the devil and everything needs to be eco, clean fuel and whatever. So here he is having lunch with these coal miners eating like wild squirrel that this woman with four kids and a million guns shot in her backyard whatever the case is and he's doing all this stuff and like you see this version of the country that is like deeply sad but also it's it's amazing and it's like this version of a place like West Virginia that most people would never bother to even show or look at, or I'm, I'm at a loss for words, <laughs> but it really is like the most beautiful and heartbreaking place. And I feel like that is just a summary of the country as a whole. It, it was this perfect Petri dish of America that most people would overlook it was perfect. So why did I get into that tangent? Oh yeah. My point is food is important. It's, it's a, it's every cliche you could say about it, a vehicle for understanding cultures, whatever, whatever. But if you move past the cliches, if you go beyond them, if you actually listen to what the fuck is going on, it's, will always be with us. You can't escape it. You can't, you have to eat lunch every day. I mean, you don't have to eat lunch. You have to eat something every day, most days. So anyway, I understand why things like orthorexia would persist. And even though maybe probably most people who listen to this might not be necessarily struggling with orthorexia, I still think that it is interesting to consider because if nothing else, people who have orthorexia and the topic itself really is just about what does your food say about you? How much have you thought about it? Like, it's kind of just, orthorexia is kind of just a magnifying glass for most people, just kind of puts a magnifying glass on a normal relationship with food and intensifies it by 10 million times. So anyway, I'm deviating. I'm deviating from the plan here. But um, let me read, I guess, I'm going to read like, a few paragraphs of this and we'll just see how it goes. So this is orthorexia. When does clean? No, I'm, I did it wrong already. Okay. When does eating clean become an eating disorder? For years, I have asked myself these questions. Have you thought about your food? Have you thought about the virtue of it, how healthy it is and how it will look on Instagram? And since we're on the topic, what does your food say about you? Does it tell the world you are clean and virtuous? Or is that stack of fluffy Sunday morning pancakes a gentle reminder that you know how to have fun too? 
Oh my God, I'm terrible at reading aloud. Anyway, <laughs> we continue. I have thought about all of this extensively and it has been hell. My only comfort has come from knowing that other people have asked themselves these questions too. Popular Instagram account, You Did Not Eat That, famous for mocking the notion that Instagram models and personalities are actually consuming the food that they post meticulously edited photos of, didn't just get 100,000 followers because no one is thinking about what we're saying with our food. The idea of an eating disorder that didn't involve a loss of appetite or the desire to purge began hitting the zeitgeist a year and a half ago. The disease was called orthorexia, a term coined by Dr. Stephen Bratman in 1997. Quote, Orthorexia is defined as an unhealthy obsession with healthy food, Dr. Bratman tells Vice. It's not the diet that is orthorexia. It's the diet that could lead to it. The more extreme or restrictive the diet, the more likely it could lead to orthorexia. After, coin the, sorry, after coining the term, Dr. Bratman went on to publish several books about orthorexia and healthy living. Today, he has created an official scientific definition for the disease and is working on getting it published and accepted by the medical community. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit here because um, I don't want to bore you guys, but this is, this is the main point. One of the reasons, I'm starting from a new paragraph, okay, beginning, here we go. One of the reasons Dr. Kratina, who is a nutritionist that I spoke to for the article, believes orthorexia is rising in popularity is because of our fixation on health. Quote, there is nothing wrong with eating local or being a vegetarian or a vegan, she says. I think a lot of those diets are inherently valuable. The problem is that we have moralized eating, weight, food, and exercise. Food has been presented more and more as the answer. End quote. We see this moral fixation on the virtues of food thrown back into our faces on a daily basis. Instagram can often seem like ground zero for a grotesque display of morally just food choices. Food bloggers like Deliciously Ella, whose vegan food blog has attracted hundreds of thousands of Instagram followers and multiple book deals, are attractive to us because they provide a clear answer. Eating healthy will make you good. The answer, regularly served to us in the convenient form of an easily, easily digestible hashtag eat clean picture, feels so good on our eyes. I'm going to end my reading of the same, whatever. I'm, re I'm not reading the thing anymore. If you want to read it, you can go to vice.com and just search my name, Claudia McNeely and orthorexia or just search orthorexia. I don't know. I, I'll link, I'll link the, the article in the show notes or whatever. I guess I can also do that. But regardless, it's funny how these things it's funny how trends come back around in a slightly different hue. Like, it's still the same shit. Yes, now we don't have as much of the... Or maybe I'm just in a different bubble of Instagram. But I think in general, we don't care as much for the food bloggers that are just posting beautiful food pictures. I think that era has kind of died down. The era of the influencer, food blogger, person. Even when I used to be invited to a lot of different food events and they would literally have full tables of prop food or food that you weren't supposed to eat but just to photograph set out for the influencers and then there was this really awkward period between food influencers and then journalists where like I would be invited to the same events and like be expected to photograph the the fake food for my Instagram even though like I wasn't being paid for my Instagram but at the same time if I didn't post on my Instagram it would look like I wasn't really part of the club and it, a really awkward time for media. I think now that era of like big influencer events just about like a launch of some kind of cheese or some shit like that, that used to literally happen every fucking day. 
obviously they still happen. I'm just not invited to them as much, but I also know for a fact that they do not happen as frequently. And obviously because of COVID, like just mass events for pretty much no reason are kind of a thing of the past. People's budgets have gotten smaller. People's safety concerns have gotten higher. It's just not something that is going on as much as it used to. But it's funny how even though that era of Instagram is over, on TikTok, there is a new era of pretty much the exact same thing that I lived through seven years ago, which is like the era on TikTok now of that girl or your five to to nine afternoon routine, which is interesting because a lot of people will post their morning routines, but now a new kind of version of that is what you do after work, which is an extra exhausting, I think, trend because it's like, not only did you wake up early to prepare for work and be super healthy and then you went to work, but now you are maximizing your productivity from the time of five to 9 p.m. And you're showing yourself like, doing errands or going to the gym or working on your side hustle. And it's not to knock that. I mean, hustle, like make your money, build your dream life, go for it. But there is something a little bit exhausting about like maximizing every possible minute of your day for the sake of, now I'm going to sound like some communist fuck, but like for the sake of, I guess just like capitalism's benefit or just living under such a draconian system where like every second of your day must be maximized for just ultimate productivity. Something about that to me inherently feels like, oh fucking God, here we go again. And maybe that's because I'm 30 years old now and I've done that. I've done the thing where like you go to the gym at 6am, you go to your nine to five and then you do something productive and I've done it. And there is a time and a place for it and I can appreciate it. And I can appreciate also that like sometimes just giving fully into your impulses and doing whatever the fuck you want and being lazy is not going, that doesn't have your best interest in mind. Your impulses do not have your best interest in mind all the time. Discipline can help you achieve your goals and discipline is important. And I, I absolutely believe in that, but like this new version of hyper health conscious discipline that is being fed to us is pretty much just an updated version of the one that was here for all of the millennial grandmas that will remember this seven to 10 years ago. And of course, that's largely because we probably will forever in this country and just in society at this point, continue to moralize, you know, food, eating, weight, exercise, all of those things. But, and I'm guilty of this as well, like, In an era where modern medicine has failed us to some extent, obviously modern medicine can be great, but I think public public distrust of things like vaccines and certain medications has, in my opinion, never been higher because we've seen the governments and public health officials literally flat out lie to us. Like for example, the COVID vaccine, when they said you can't get sick, you can't spread it, you are protected. And then the narrative now has shifted. And now they're trying to rewrite history and say like, no, we never said that. You just are, you can't get seriously ill. And actually, well, you can, but you might not. And we see the backpedaling that happens and you see Moderna and Pfizer suing each other. And you see that it's just like a dick measuring contest among pharmaceutical companies. And I think more and more people, even if you did feed into that narrative, and even if it is hard to admit that like it wasn't 
we were lied to. Like it wasn't the truth and they were wrong or like it was not accurate. Even though it's hard to admit that, I think more and more people are. And I think skepticism around just like big pharma and modern medicine in general is at an all-time high for better or worse. I think some of that will be for worse because people will choose maybe certain things that are detrimental to their health and public health, like other types of vaccines where I'm genuinely now on the fence because I used to think, of course, of course I'll, I'll get my like tetanus booster. And like, of course I got all that shit when I was a kid. And of course I'm going to get my kid to get it. But now I'm like, wait, this is the fucking system. It's these clowns running the show. It's, it's these greedy billionaire idiots like wait you guys like the science is controlled by dummy billy like it makes you scared and it makes you hesitant and food and being able to control your health as much as you can does become more and more appealing and so food is presented and it continues to be presented more and more even more so now than I would say then when I wrote this article as the answer and people like Joe Rogan people who you know promote health in general are absolutely guilty of promoting this even if guilty isn't the right term exactly because food is important to control your health obviously but the more we moralize this shit, the more people will fall into the traps of hyper obsession over their health and over food. And that is not a great thing. It's not an ideal place to be. And probably, and I'll leave it here, probably the most, one of the most fucked up parts about this type of disorder is like, for example, when I was really dealing with it and I literally was like refused to go out to eat with my friends because to get Chinese food because I was like, it all has wheat or cornstarch or whatever. And I thought like wontons were the devil. Um, Or I remember I was visiting my friend in DC and we went and got like some kind of soul food and there was breading on it and I like peeled off the breading off every, like just total psycho shit. Um, The most fucked up part about it is like, Even when I was super skinny earlier this year before I got pregnant, like you will get compliments when you are struggling with a disorder like this. You'll probably get a boyfriend. You probably will. No one will be alarmed. Everyone will shower you in praise. And that's a sickness that we have as a society. That's something to be aware of. And I think just in general, while I am like... I don't think an ultra sensitive person when it comes to most of the dumb shit that we do in society. One thing I think should be more normalized and I'm shocked it isn't. And I've experienced it multiple times throughout this pregnancy is just people's tenacity and people's just like, I guess, they just want to comment on your body. Like, especially when you're pregnant, people have been told me like, Oh, you don't even look pregnant or like, I haven't gotten, Oh, you look like you're about to pop or any of those gross comments yet. But like, it's weird to me because no matter what you say to someone about their body, especially when they're pregnant, obviously it just feels like Every option is fucked up. If you say, oh, you look great. And the person is struggling with an eating disorder or just lost a bunch of weight. There's most of the time that comment is maybe it'll make them feel good, but it's like, you're, 
you're insinuating that they only look great when they're skinny. You're it's you're playing with fire here. And I just wish we would stop commenting on how people's bodies look as frequently as much as like I understand that maybe the people who receive the comments are partially guilty of soliciting them to some extent, like by if you're posting a lot of pictures of your body and stuff like that on the Internet. But still, but still, I think we should just normalize not commenting on people's bodies as much because I remember any time that I've really been dealing with any sort of issue when it comes to food and been skinny and whatever it's been I've always been praised and I'm you know lucky that I've never had any serious eating disorder where I've had to get professional help but I just think that's unfortunate and I feel myself slipping into that again not yet but like as soon as I have this child of being like okay we're losing the weight in three days. We're going like full fucking paleo juice cleanse. Okay. But, um, I know that's not healthy and I know I have to chill and I know I just have to accept that this is where we're at now. And by this, I mean, it's 20 pounds and probably more, and it's going to be much, well, hopefully not too much more, but if it is, you know, this is where we're at now and that's fine. Bodies change it's okay. I guess don't become orthorexic. If you must become orthorexic, do it quietly. I'm just kidding. Just don't do it, please. And, um, yeah, that's it. But if, if you, if anyone is who's listening to this has gone through periods of time where it's like you, you're being super healthy, but your fixation on your health is almost suffocating. Like, please understand that this is not, you're okay. Like it, you're not alone, first of all, but there's many people who've experienced this and it's not your fault. They're, we're living in a, in a very sick society, especially when it comes to food and health and it, like choosing to be healthy and then taking it a bit too far is not anyone's fault. It's not your fault. We're literally, this world is sick. 